a price tag to everything, even your own success. Welcome back to another interview, Tag Network. As always, Lee, Dami, Josh. Awesome, man. So we have actually a really old friend of mine. We went to high school together. Knew us in seventh grade. Wow. So it's, it's going to be a great episode. She's really smart. So my name is Valerie Nieves. I just graduated from Suffolk University Law School in Boston. Before that, I graduated from Northeastern University with my Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science with a concentration in legal studies and minors in law and public policy in Portuguese. Impressive resume. It's impressive. What, what do you do now? So I'm currently studying for the bar, but um, this fall I will be starting my legal career as an assistant district attorney for the Suffolk County District Attorney. Wow. Congratulations, John. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit because that's, that's really interesting. But I'd love to just dive into like, what was that the educational journey for you like? Right when you graduated high school. So in high school, I took AP government and um, it really started like to pique my interest. I'd always been interested in the legal field because uh, my parents came here when in their late 30s from Puerto Rico and my dad would learn English by like reading closed caption TV and just watching TV in general. And if he didn't understand something, he would have me look it up. And from there, I kind of started, you know, looking legal, legal terminology up and things of that nature. So that's how I kind of piqued my interest. Then with AP government, I was like, oh, this is definitely what I want to do. Definitely the area I want to be in. I just don't know what that looks like or what that means necessarily. So I was an Ujima scholar for Northeastern University, which means you have to go in undecided. Um, and then you take kind of like gen ed credits. Um, and then you kind of figure out where, you know, what you want your career to look like, what your major might be or what you're thinking or leaning towards. So my first semester, I took some political science electives to see if like that was really where I wanted to be or if I wanted to do sociology or something else. Um, and I fell in love with political science and just legal theories and things like that. Um, so from there, I majored in political science. They had a concentration in legal studies, which kind of pushes you towards like the law school field. Um, I didn't, I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do, um, but then Northeastern has their co-op program. I did my first co-op at a medium-sized law firm in downtown. And that cemented it for me. Like I was going to court with them. I was helping assemble their binders, different discovery things. Um, and I just fell in love with the work. Like I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, and then so from there, I started thinking about law school. My second co-op was with um, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley when she was a city counselor. Um, so I was there and I loved the public policy side of it, but still like the, the being an attorney is what actually was calling me. So um, after that, my junior summer, going into my senior year in Northeastern, I did a fellowship at the Federal District Court where I took like a mock legal writing class like you would take your first year of law school. And from there, I just knew that law school was where I wanted to be. And so I applied. I had a mentor from that program, that fellowship, who helped me with my uh, personal statement, getting all my things together, my letters of recommendations, et cetera. And then I started the journey into law school, and that was definitely a roller coaster of emotions. But I made it on the other side, and here I am. Wow, that's that's a very powerful story. You said you were running, you know, undecided. And that's usually what most people when going to college, you don't know what to do was. But yeah. what was that personal eureka moment for you when you were like, "This is what I want to do"? Like, do you remember that moment, or was it a combination of different events? I think it was a combination of different things. 
um, I think my aha moment in terms of like my career was being in my co-op and actually seeing what the day-to-day -day life of an attorney was because before that I had no clue. You know, I was a first generation everything. So I didn't know what attorneys did. I didn't know what it was like to be an attorney. Um, so definitely my co-op cemented that for me. But in terms of like my major, I think just sitting in, I think it was um, my international um, law class and just being like, my, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. No, that's awesome. I heard you mention that you, you had a mentor, and I think you, you told us earlier before that you were a mentor your first year, mentor your second year, mm -hmm. right? So tell us about that. Like, how was it being a mentee, and then how was it being a mentor, too? Tell us, tell us more about that. Something. Yeah, I think mentorship is so important. I think it's important to have people that are champion for you, but also people that have laid a foundation and have been in your shoes before and have done either similar things or are in your actual career path that could kind of lift you up as they're going up as well. Um, so my first year of law school, I was in a program called Progress to Success, um, where they take students of color their first year and they pair you up with a mentor who's either 2L, which means they're in their second year of law school, or 3L, which means they're in their last year of law school. And you just can ask them questions. You can call them freaking out. You can, you know, call them and just be like, I hate it here today. Um, and they're there for you. Um, so it was an amazing experience to have that as a first year law student because it's tough like yeah. to be honest i think going to a school like the o'brien my transition into college wasn't awful but my transition from college into law school was definitely a learning curve mm -hmm. because when you study the law it's like you're learning another language you learn how to write in this language you learn how to read in this language um so it was very difficult for me um and then when i became a child i became a mentor because I wanted to be that for somebody. I wanted to be that sounding board. I wanted to be the person giving them outlines, like, listen, you know, I took this class and this is how I passed it. And being able to provide resources for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to have them. No, that's, that's beautiful to hear. And you, you said mentors. So as the relationship evolved, you know, how, like what was that transitioning or is it, did you just keep them as sort of like a board of advisors in your personal life? Yeah, so like I I feel like I've kind of collected mentors in like every stage of kind of my trajectory. So like I still have lawyers from that medium-sized law firm that I still speak to. I actually would go to their office and one of them um, helped me with my um, mock trial uh, argument that I had to do my first year of law school um, at, in the city counselor's office. I still talk um, to Congresswoman Ayanna Presley here and there and I know people on her staff still. Um, and then also in my fellowship, being able to have um, Alexis, who was my teacher um, for legal writing and have her go over all my stuff, but also like just call her up and be like, I hate it here today. <laughs> um, but it's just been like kind of just keeping them and keeping them in the loop and always updating them because some way, somehow they helped me get where I'm at right now. And so being able to tell them that and kind of always thank them for that, but also always like keep them updated with my progress has been amazing because they've also given me you know resources or opportunities or linked me to other people that you know only continue to help me in my career awesome so yeah that's great part of the reason why we're building this right is people like us right minority coming from not a, a prominent background especially like i don't know anybody in in my family that's a lawyer or anybody honestly you're the only person i know that like is even doing this so like Tell us about like your experience growing up in that space, right? Like, what did you see? 
Um, I think my school does a good job of kind of trying to keep a balance. So I didn't see it as predominantly white males, but I did see it as predominantly white. Um, so in my first section, so we're split up into sections our first year because we take all the same classes your first year. It's like a set course um, and it's like all classes you need to pass the bar. And so um, they split us up into sections. I was in section 1A and I was one of six people of color and it was wow. a section of 90 students. Wow. Wow. So, um, and I had, I had, I had a lot of white teachers, but I had a lot of white women teachers, which made a difference for me because although it wasn't a person of color, it was still somebody who could relate to me and understand at least a part of my identity. Um, but I did have a, a professor of color. She was an Indian American woman or a Native American woman. And, um, she was amazing. And, being able to have her and just go to her office hours and be like, wow, like this is hard. And having somebody like understand that they didn't have all the resources that the art counterparts had growing up and things of that nature. It was definitely a struggle. Um, imposter syndrome is very real. Um, it's something that I struggled with a lot my first year. Um, but you know, you get through it and you get through it by having a support system and you get through it by knowing that I wouldn't have gotten this far if this wasn't for me. Yeah, no, you look, looks like you definitely got through it, right? You got assistant district attorney. Tell us about that. Like, what that job entail? How did you even get that job? So it was actually crazy. I didn't think that I wanted to be a prosecutor. I knew that I wanted to do criminal law. Criminal law was always something that interested me, um, but I was always leaning towards the defense side. Um, so my first, um, my first summer, I had a, I was a legal intern for their homicide unit. So I was at the district attorney's office and I was in their homicide unit. Um, and I was just doing like basic things for them because as a one, as a one L or in your one L summer, they think you don't know much, <laughs> which is valid. Cause like we just started learning how to read and write like lawyers. And so I was just doing like basic research for them. But the ADA that I was shadowing, like she took us to the medical examiner's office. You know, we got to go to Boston police headquarters and like, you know, see her prep for a case with one of the ballistic expert experts and, you know, being able to see all that things. I'm like, wow, like, I never knew what the background, like, I never knew what it looked like in the background. Like, you see people go to court, you see, you know, people do their legal arguments, but you never see, like, what happens in the background. So being able to see that definitely piqued my interest. Um, and then my second year, I was what is called the 303 Certified um, Student Prosecutor. So I was certified by the state of Massachusetts to basically be, I like to call it being a baby lawyer. So I could go up in front of the judge and present cases. They just couldn't be victim cases, um, obviously because of liability and things of that nature. Um, and then from there, I really learned that being a prosecutor means being in a position of power and more people of color need to be in positions of powers in, in, in positions of power to make change. Um, so um, one of the cases I had, it was in a, a DUI case, but he was also um, charged with possession of marijuana. I mean, well, actually, he was charged with intent to distribute marijuana. But, you know, the indicia or like the what you need to prove um, intent to sell wasn't there. So I went to my supervisor and I was like, hey, like, I don't think we should charge this person with this because of X, Y and Z. Here's the case law. Here's my reasoning. And she was like, so what do you think we should do? I said, I think we should dismiss this. And she was like, OK, at the next court case, do that. Wow. And so I was able to, in retrospect, right, like, he still has a charge on his case for the DUI and, you know, that 
does mess up his record. But if we celebrate the small victories, like I was able to get that drug possession off of his record. Mm -hmm. And, you know, moving forward, he can still apply to certain jobs because that's not a drug case on his record. Whereas certain jobs will look at that and be like, no, I'm okay. So, you know, being able to still have that, to have that power as a student prosecutor, it just kind of really like cemented in me that like, you need to be in positions of power in order to make change. So that's why then I applied to be an assistant district attorney once I graduated. That is very, very powerful. <laughs> while you were saying that, it, it put into, you know, it put it in, in perspective for me in the sense that it's like, you know, when you hear, you know, historically, when you think of a prosecutor, especially for people of color, it's with a negative connotation because that's an oppressive force, right? Right. And, you know, staying on that topic, you know, what are some of the misconceptions, you know, when people, when people speak about being a prosecutor, what's, can you speak to more of the misconceptions and can you clarify what it is that, you know, the positivity you bring to that role? Sure. I mean, I think some of the misconceptions is that you know all prosecutors are there the only thing we're doing is to like lock people up yeah. and that's not the case you know like of course a prosecutor's role is kind of twofold right so we have to make sure that people who are victims of crime get, get justice right so we have to make sure that people who suffer are you know the people who did that are held accountable but in that same token as a prosecutor, you have the power, like I said, to not charge somebody. So you have the power to give somebody a second chance and simply reintegrate them back into the community and hope that they learn that, you know, X, Y, and Z wasn't okay, but we understand and we see that, for example, you don't have a record, or, you know, or whatever is on your record was when you were a juvenile. Or, you know, there are so many things that we look into when we're deciding whether or not to move forward with charging someone. And I think that's something that people don't know or don't understand. And it makes sense, right? Because you're not in it, you're not seeing, you're only seeing, you know, the negative consequences that happen. And, you know, I, I'll be the first one to say it's not a perfect system because the system is broken and the system does disproportionately affect people of color and it shouldn't. But there are people like myself and other people of color who are taking up spaces and making sure that we try to make the change and we try to make it so that we're not affecting the community in ways that are negative and we're trying to build connections. And I think so, that's something that DA Rollins has done and she's actually had sit downs with the community and ask what is it that the community needs from us as people who are also supposed to be looking for justice for them. Wow, that's really powerful and another sort of follow-up and this this might be a little controversial is you know when we know recently the ruling that came down with Derek Chauvin uh you know unfortunately the untimely death of George Floyd right yeah and you know we felt as a community that was one of the first times justice was you know properly served can you speak and you know users that may not really understand the full extent of the law we know it's very very difficult to build a case against you know law enforcement to prove misuse and abuse of power can you sort of speak to that on, on how tough it is to get that case because you know the, the blue wall and code of silence and why it's difficult to get these prosecutions that we want yeah i mean i think like any organization they they want to like protect one another but i think it's important to know that especially places where there are progressive prosecution you know we're we're building or we're looking to kind of take that off the table, right? And I think DA Rollins has shown it that she's not afraid 
to, you know, indict um, police officers. You know, I, I can't go into details, yeah. but, you know, there are things that she's doing to kind of make sure that the city of Boston knows or in the, sur in the surrounding cities that, you know, we protect at, in the DA's office, you know, that we know that it doesn't matter if this person has a badge. All that matters is that a crime was a crime occurred and justice needs to be served. We are administrators of justice. That is our main role. So I think it, it is difficult, right? Because, you know, there's so many different powers at play here. But I think the important part is when, when you're a prosecutor and when you're in that position to put your best case forward. And that's following statute, that's following what the law says, that's, you know, making sure that you know, everything is laid out, all of the elements are laid out, all of the discovery, all of the evidence, everything is laid out and you put your best case forward. And unfortunately, we don't always, we don't always win in the sense that like, you know, this is the first time that uh, a police officer has been held accountable for, uh, for these hate crimes. But, you know, I think it just also goes to show that we are moving towards that, it, you know, and it's, it's a slow progress, but it's still progressing. And, you know, I understand being impatient and wanting things to change and wanting things to, you know, be better now. But I think it's important to realize that there are people in the inside that are working towards that. Just to keep it lighthearted, right? let's let's say you're talking to somebody that's trying to, that just started law school, right? And obviously you're very successful in what you're doing. So what advice would you give that person? Yeah, I think for somebody even thinking about law school, the first advice, would be make sure this is something that you really want to do like make sure this is your passion project make sure your heart is in it um because it's hard and every day i have to remind myself of my why because if not like it would it was just so overwhelming because it's really a learning curve especially for us people of color who didn't have the resources to really you know know what it was like to walk into a first year law school class and there's no syllabus talk there's no you know the first day you get let out early like no first day comes and they're cold calling people like they're asking okay what's the facts of this case you know what what was the holding why did the court re reach this decision and so it's definitely if you want this you can do it but just make sure this is something you really want and then for students that are in law school or approaching their first year of law school, I would just say, you belong. You got in for a reason. You're there for a reason. Take up the space. And imposter syndrome is real. Imposter syndrome will come and go. But what's not going to come and go is you. As long as you know that this is what you want to do, just push forward. Because at the end of the day, no one is getting this degree but you. So you need to believe in yourself. It doesn't matter what the noise says outside. Let's let's kind of like we, we call this like a rapid fire section. Just like those questions that you try to answer. Okay. Not quickly, but you think when you get into law, like what was some of were there any lawyers that like you stood out that stood out to you starting out? Yeah, I mean, I definitely looked up to Sonia Soto Mayor, who's the Supreme Court Justice. Um, she came from the Bronx. She's Puerto Rican. She lived in the projects in the Bronx. She went to Columbia Law School and became a Supreme Court Justice. And just to be able to see her and just be like wow like that could really be me like i grew up in the projects in charlestown like i'm puerto rican like literally i could follow her trajectory so she was definitely somebody that kind of was like that beacon of hope like you can make it oh, that's awesome and you know joss loves that, loves that question because he's little he looks up to everybody <laughs> <laughs> inside about that hey yo my, my question is sort of two-part it's um 
what's a quote that you carry that resonates significantly with you? And, you know, what's your favorite book? Um, I think, think my favorite quote is something that my dad used to tell me all the time. He used to tell me that I had to work twice as hard to get half of what my white counterparts would have. And he always told me that, especially like in my household, I wasn't allowed to have a C. A C was like crazy. Like, what are you doing? You're slacking OD. And so like, I always heard that from him. And that's something that really resonated with me because once you get higher in the chain and higher education, like you really start to see that these spaces weren't meant for us. You really start to see that these spaces don't have people that look like us more, more likely than not. Um, and so it's hard, but you just got to work twice as hard. And it's that, and that's okay. Favorite book? Well, I think it would have to be um, the Divergency series. Ooh. It's kind of like the Hunger Games, but it's like a different, it's different book. What is your favorite memory uh, throughout your, your experience? I have a lot but asking me right now I just keep thinking back to graduation like it was just a surreal moment um it's crazy to think that I graduated college three years ago it's crazy to think that I did eight years of school straight because Northeastern was five years because I did the co-op program and then three years of law school um and you know my 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 dad passed away when I was a sophomore in college and not having him around was difficult. So just being able to see my trajectory and kind of the adversity I've been through and know that I made it to that stage and know, and when they called my name, like that was it, like I did that. Like I have JD next to my last name. Like it was just, I can't even explain it. You know, this conversation is very short. I, I can't speak too much because I don't you know, know you that deeply, but I'll tell you, your father is very proud of you and he raised the hell of a so oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Don't get me emotional. What's one thing you, you wish you had known starting your career? One thing I wish I had known is that ups and downs are going to happen. And it's like natural, right? Because I went into law school, like, you know, college was like chilling. You yeah. know, I'm going to just go into law school and it's going to be more of the same. And it wasn't, but that's okay. And I think I was very... It was very a very humbling experience, and I just wish I would have went in with a more open mind and under and like really understood that it was going to be a learning curve, and I wasn't gonna be perfect at everything, and that that was okay. I think I'll just end this off here, you know, for our users and you know people listening all over the world. It's we already spoke to how being a prosecutor it's misconstrued, right? So, what is the most rewarding part for you personally that you're getting in this? Well, I can only speak to what I've done as a third year because I haven't started my career yet. Um, but I think the most rewarding part is knowing that you're making a difference, no matter how small it may look to you, um, because you're making a difference in somebody else's life. And being able to do that and being able to do that on a day-to-day -day basis is it, it's so rewarding because every day doesn't look the same. Every day brings a different case. Every day there's somebody different in front of you. Um, but you make the decision to make a difference, and it's everything. Valerie, thank you so much. Obviously, this is going to be heat when we bring somebody from OB on, you feel me? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much for your, your time, Valerie, and hopefully everybody watching this year enjoyed it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.